up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here in the Trinians and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyon. Hello. How's it going? Pretty well. How about, uh, how's everything out on the West Coast? It is a balmy 91 degrees today. Now this is where I don't mind you telling me the temperature, because I wouldn't enjoy that. I'm fine. It was like the 70s, 80s last couple days. I'm cool sitting around that range. Well, at least we don't have, like, humidity. That's nice. Yeah, so it's like a dry heat. And, I mean, and I I mean, I live in the in Santa Monica, so it's a beach city, so we get much more, like, that nice, cool air. But uh, this, is, uh, this is probably the hottest it's been since I've lived here. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's supposed to get up to 95 on Thursday, and then it's headed back down, which I'm thankful for. Yeah, especially in May, like, you know, you know you have a full summer of it ahead, so. Well, yeah, I mean, for the most part, again, like, it's, not, it's usually not at 75. I was getting panicked because I'm headed to uh, Colorado in a couple of weeks, and uh, I saw it was snowing oh. there on Sunday. <laughs> that's like, that's some Syracuse stuff, like, that's ridiculous. I'm yeah, so I was kind of terrified. Yeah. I wouldn't want to deal with that either. So. Yeah. I'm fine with my one season, which uh, which is pretty much just 70 to 75 degrees, the occasional dip down to 65, and the occasional spike up to 78 to 80. Yeah, uh, no complaints there. <laughs> so, uh, Dan, I have to say, uh, this year, not really a big fan of this whole... Uh, this whole really nice regular season turns into postseason flameout thing. Just the best youth sports in general outside of football. Not, no, not, not really. I can't say I'm I'm a fan of that either. Um, I was actually I was talking to to Jim Simmons, uh, blogger, not one of the Simmons lacrosse clan, um, on Twitter last night, and we kind of agreed it was disappointing, but. Like, obviously, because we didn't win the championship, um, the John Desto needs to be replaced birds came out. And um, in in the past, I've, you know, gotten why they would say that, and I've gotten, like, the logic, because there were years and years where, you know, the face-offs were a major issue and, you know, the attack was messed up. This year, the face-offs were an issue for about half the season, and then they really turned around, and even... even, uh, Sunday's game, I mean, the face-offs weren't the reason that Syracuse lost by any means. Bryant won 13, uh, Syracuse won 9. Bryant, um, it was more, it was the Syracuse offense, which had been the best part of the, the team all year, just having a really bad game. And I have an issue with people who have called for Death Throw's head in the past 
than probably praising the team in the really great comeback they had this year, which you have to help, at least partially attribute to good coaching because they were left for dead and uh, and then ended up as a two seed in the NCAA tournament. And to kind of take one game and use it to, uh, to, to uh, put down the whole season, which was as a regular season was largely successful, especially because of the turnaround, I think it's it's kind of premature. Like, if they go out next year and then lose in the first round again and have a disappointing year, then, you know, maybe we can start talking about it. But uh, if it, this t- you could probably argue that postseason aside, this is one of be- Destro's better coaching jobs. Yeah, I mean, I I know we always talk about it on the side. Like, the, the, the fire Destro crowd is the exact same – group as the why don't we play more man-to-man crowd, the same as the I wish we were still in the Big East crowd, the same as the I still hate Doug Marone crowd. There's a running theme. I, wish we, I, I almost want to send out like a survey monkey poll and see how people like fill in those answers and see how much of a correlation there is. Cause I, I feel like you're on to something. Yeah, I, I just think that there's a, there's a certain reaction that that, that just, it, it's a common thread in in any you know online commentary you see about about SG sports. There's the people that, that have one mostly outrageous opinion seem to fall in line with the other outrageous opinions about SU athletics. And I'm sure those are also the same people that bitch and moan about MetLife games and then don't show up to games on Saturdays either. Yeah, it's uh, it's just. It's really bothersome <laughs> um, to see so many people come out of nowhere, and then if you dare like defend someone who's you know five national championships and has just got to the finals a year ago, like not it's not like we haven't been to the finals in a while. Like we were one game away from winning another national championship last year, so it's not like Syracuse is just went half away basically. Yeah, like and they, it's not like this program is just falling off the table and just isn't a isn't a contender. Like, we were the number two seed this year. We were a finals team last year. Um, we've, most of our, our, you know, we've we've had some premature losses in the tournament, but multiple were in overtime. Uh, this one was by one goal and a couple inches from going to overtime, uh, miraculously. Like, it's not like we've just gotten to the tournament and just gotten blown out by some, some scrub squad. Like, the teams that have beaten us have been largely pretty good. And all the games have been competitive, so it's it's I don't I don't buy into the systematic problem that people want to put on Syracuse lacrosse. Um, I just don't think we have. It's it just seems like people see one bad game and freak out because we're supposed to win the national title every year. But even like in the last three or four years, faceoffs have been a problem all season. This year, faceoffs were really good for half the year. Um, and it's unfortunate that we don't have a, another year of, of Daddio to, you know, see what he can do with a full season of having figured it out, and that is a concern going forward. But, you know, we got the issue. For the most part, we got the issues that we had this year cleared up. Brian just did a really good job yesterday, and they had a really good plan to stop the offense, and it worked out, and that happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a whole lot of similarities um, between this game and the Army game um, from 2010. And you know, not just not just the date, not just the Mother's Day and Grad Day, the whole deal. Like everything seemed to just line up. Um, I mean, but you look like over college cross, like Matt broke down the, uh, you know, like the win percentage. You know, 
And to be honest, like, we only had a 55% chance of winning that game. So it wasn't as if we were just these – yeah, we weren't like these overwhelming favorites. I mean, seeding-wise, it seemed like it. Um, I think on the site today, it seemed like in the comments, we we got somewhere where where a lot of us were kind of going back and forth. Um, You know, I – I pointed out, like, if you look at, like, the classically the top four programs, Syracuse, Virginia, Princeton, and Hopkins, you know, and I asked everyone, of those four, who would you rather be right now? And and the answer is overwhelmingly Syracuse out of those four programs. So to me, I, I, I think that this program, while it's not and will never be what it was, you know, for an extended, ridiculous period of dominance in the 80s and 90s, I don't – I really think there's much shame – to, to where we are right now. Um, I mean, if, if quote-unquote just another good program is a national title birth and, like, a couple high seeds that didn't work out, um, I, I mean, I guess we're another just another good program. But, like, I, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to name the programs that, that fall in line ahead of us on the lacrosse hierarchy um, other than, at this point, Duke's probably headed to their eighth final four in a row. So I think... I think Duke falls ahead of us, but besides that, I mean, I can't find another program that consistently can put themselves on our shoulders. Can you? No, I mean, Duke is the one, and they've been probably the best modern program based on those eight Final Fours. Um, And, you know, everyone else has kind of taken their turn. So people are so worried about people jumping Syracuse and other teams jumping Syracuse, but they haven't. Like, Loyola might have had a chance to put themselves in the conversation. Obviously, it would take more than two two years, but they got they lost to Albany. Um, we we weren't the only ones that upset in the first round. Uh, and people, you know, the first round thing sounds bad, but you have to realize, like, the, there are more than 16 good lacrosse schools, and there's not, there's not a ton of depth below that, but the top 16 to 20 can all play. And while you don't think Bryant should beat Syracuse, they're not. It's not like a Syracuse playing a 14 seed in the first round of the of the basketball tournament. It's like Syracuse is a two seed of making the Sweet 16 and playing like a San Diego State strappy, very well coached, bit like solid mid major. Like the 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 difference between the one and the 16 in lacrosse is nowhere near the difference between uh, the one and then uh, or one of the ones and one of the 16s in basketball. It's it's like yeah, on a different and let's not just, like, you know, pull the wool over our own eyes about who Bryant coaches. It's That's not true. as if they, like, came out of nowhere with, with a coach who's never done anything. I mean, it, under different circumstances, you know, Crescent would still be the coach in Duke. Yeah, and, and this is a team that just played us. They were familiar with us. Um, obviously, the Syracuse team was, was uh, different than last year, but a lot of the same pieces. And... Uh, they were a much better team this year than they were last year, just up to the records. And they almost beat us last year, and they were under 500, I think. This year they were way over 500, and they were just a much better team. So I, I don't know. I, I was, I wasn't happy. I wasn't content with how we ended the season. Uh, I really want to win another national championship. I don't think the last, you know, not winning in six years is a referendum on the program just not being great anymore. It still is. You're not going to win every year. That's just the reality. I mean, we talk about it all the time. This is not the reality of where the sport is. And if it was, we'd be the only ones who enjoyed the sport, and it'd be kind of shitty. So, like, I, I've said it before. Like, I'd rather be the 
one of the best programs in a really big sport that everyone enjoys and cares about than being one of the best, best programs in a sport that is totally niche and no one watches. So even if that means, even if the, the level of being the best is different. So I don't know. It's, we're, we're going through some growing pains, but the team, uh, I think Chris Carlson posted something on Syracuse.com the other day. It was either him or Patrick Stewart, um, a breakdown of the returning roster for next year. Uh, face-offs are going to be an issue, and we got to hope that a Calpaduta or someone can make a daddy-o type uh, upgrade at, you know, in his, in his uh, you know, what he does out there. But the rest of the team is going to be dirty next year. And, I mean, there's no reason to think that Syracuse across is going to go anywhere. And odds are we won't lose in the first round next year, and we'll make another good run. It's just these things are cyclical. So I'm excited for next year to get going. Obviously, I'm excited for football to get going first and basketball. But uh, not overly concerned about what this meant for the overarching Syracuse lacrosse program. I don't think that it, it really means all that much in the law, in the grand scheme of things. Right. Yeah, this is – I mean, it's, it's not a referendum on Syracuse lacrosse. It's a referendum on the four-team – on a four-team dominated sport. And hockey's dealing with the same thing right now at the collegiate level. It, it's get, getting past the period of time when, when – the same few schools won everything, and you just kind of deal with it. Um, I, I think we are, we are seeing a, a bit of a, a shift, and you know, what if that means, you know, less Final Fours and less titles, but still titles and Final Fours? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be broken up about it. I, I do agree with you, though. Like that, that obviously, I think hinges largely on our ability to fix faceoffs. Um, Somebody's trying to make a point. Um, it was lots of pulp, not calling it out or anything. But I was making a point about uh, in the comment section today. Oh, you know, we still won half our face-off. Like Donnie still won half his face-offs. And to me, I look at the numbers though: fifty point four percent of his face-offs. So he won one hundred eighty six. He lost one hundred eighty three. Um, he lost more face-offs than anybody in the country. Um, t- to me, uh, that's just. I'm not going to say it's probably it, – it's one of those things where, like, it seems like one of those, like, throw shit at the wall until something sticks model. Like, if you have that many face-offs, chances are you're going to win about 50% of them. And, and he did have, you know, some really great games down the stretch. But, unfortunately, the last one was just – I mean, the fourth quarter was great. But outside of that, like, it wasn't the best game. And it was also against, you know, the best face-off man in the country. Um, I don't. I do think one of our biggest problems, though, is putting it all on one guy. Like, if Dario hasn't always been the best face-off, I want to have other people that we can rotate in um, and take face-offs and take some of that weight off of them. Um, I, I don't. I said on Twitter right after the game, I don't think we should just sit there um, and you know just run out one guy to the dot over and over again, um, and for for his entire or however long he's, he's the starter. Um, and then wait until he leaves to, to groom the next guy. I think that we can we can have a bit of a rotation of guys at that position. Yeah, and we tried that when Dadia was struggling. Like all last year, he wasn't the guy we just rode out there. I mean, once we he wasn't winning, and then we rode other guys out there, and they also weren't winning. So I think at this point, we just finally Daddy it clicked with him, and we decided just to see what he could do down the stretch, um, which is fine. But I agree. In an ideal world, you'll have like two or three guys who can all go out there and reasonably 
you know, give you a 50-50 shot, if not better. Um, and hopefully next year we get it figured out. Obviously, they had to have changed something, because early this year he was a train wreck, and then yeah. at some point, like, after that Duke, uh, awful Duke game, something happened. Like, I don't know that much about face-offs and lacrosse in a technical way to say what it was or to see what it was, but he was doing something because, at worst, after that, he was winning at least, like, 40%, something that was manageable for a team with as good an offense as Syracuse had. Um, so hopefully whatever we changed with him, assuming it wasn't just pure luck, um, is something we can do going forward for our other guys. And, and as we've talked about elsewhere, like it's not like everyone's like, oh, he has to recruit face-off people. I feel like every year we see the recruiting class, and there's always like one or two top face-off guys. And for whatever reason, they just don't work out. And I, I'm beginning to feel like there's some kind of jinx because it's bizarre. Um, but it's not like Desto pretends like face-offs don't exist. He recruits good face-off guys every year. So it's a matter of them producing, and that's the issue. So the whole Desto needs to go recruiting face-off people thing is just kind of silly because he does. Yeah, no, I, I completely buy that. I guess getting past Syracuse, um, there were a lot of upsets, as you mentioned, Dan, in that first round. Um, do you see any of those unseeded squads being able to get through to championship weekend, uh, or do you think that we're we're likely looking at um, you know um, the top seeds advancing? I know we, we kind of called a couple of these upsets um, in that first round. I know we had said that I mean not really an upset. We said Denver would handle North Carolina. I know we said that Drexel could potentially handle Penn, and they pulled that off. Um, you know Maryland v. Cornell. Like these are all. I'm, I'm tentative to, to pick any of them because of who they're playing, but none of them would shock me too much. Um, Hopkins is still Hopkins. They haven't done much recently, but, I mean, would you be all that freaked out if Hopkins went and beat Duke by a couple goals? Like, I wouldn't really. Um, Notre Dame is a team that seems to be clicking, but Albany is ferocious, and their offense is terrifying. Um that would probably be the one I would say is most likely. But then Albany's probably also most likely to just run off the field because they're a weird team like that. Um, Maryland Bryant is probably going to end like 3-2. to two. I'm not sure who's going to win it. And Drexel-Denver, I don't know t- as much enough about Drexel where I would feel super confident doing it. But it also, again, wouldn't surprise me. I, I think Denver, you know, they're good, but I don't think they're so much better than Drexel where they can just be penciled in. So I don't think there's going to be like four for four, but I wouldn't be shocked if one or two of these unseated teams made a run. Uh, it's just these teams aren't all that far apart, which is makes it fun. Like aside from the Syracuse loss, um, I, I had a great time watching these games. The Drexel Penn game was ridiculous at the end of that first half. Like it, it just makes it. It's the reason we love the uh, the NCAA basketball tournament because of games like this and lacrosse. Well, you know. It's not quite basketball in terms of like the scoring load. It's gonna be just as exciting, especially when you've seen some of the ends that just Syracuse has had. Um, so I'm all for it. Uh, obviously, I don't want Hopkins to win through them, but um, I'm, I mean, I'll be watching. I wouldn't mind seeing Albany make a nice run, uh, so that people can yell at me on Twitter about why the Thompsons didn't come to Syracuse. Uh, that happens every time they win a game. Um, Brian, I have no issue with them. I actually almost played football at Bryant, which is a fun fact. Um, so I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for them, um, and I don't really like Maryland. And Drexel Denver, I just think, could be a really fun game. So 
I'm kind of rooting for chaos, although I begrudgingly hope Duke wins. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Um, I mean, Notre Dame has just really gotten hot at the end of the year, and you saw them kind of bludgeon Harvard to death. Um, it was funny. I know they mentioned during the end of our broadcast, you know, they, they went very strictly by RPI for the most part. There really wasn't much of an eye test element to see how, which teams were getting into this tournament. And, and that's how the Ivy League got three teams in, and yet all three Ivy teams are already uh, already knocked out. I guess what I'm looking to see, I, I think I, there's a lot of storylines. Um, obviously, Bryant, if they were to beat Maryland, would be huge. But more, I think, other than, like, Duke Hopkins is going to be a big game, and Duke should win that. But, like, what happens if, if Albany beats Notre Dame? Is that, does that mean that program has taken the next step? If... Drexel beats Denver, does that mean that Drexel is now suddenly, um, you know, a, a legit program? Um, if Denver manages to get past Drexel and then possibly beat Duke in championship weekend, are we looking at Denver finally, you know, living all the way up? I, I just think there's a lot of fun storylines, and, and while I'm still bummed that Syracuse isn't in, um, at the same time, I think that, that if you're a fan of college lacrosse, there's just a lot of fun little subplots um, that that, you should, that everyone should really be keying in on um, and watching develop. Yeah, I think I think all eight teams uh, are fairly interesting in their own ways, which is nice. You don't have a team that just doesn't have like the one that probably has the least to talk, like the fewest talking points might be Drexel, and they just bludgeoned a good Penn team, so they're still pretty interesting. And then everyone else, like you said, has something to talk about, whether it's Notre Dame's late season resurgence or Albany just having, you know, the Thompsons, Bryant's face-offs, Maryland being really boring. Um, there's always something with these teams, which is which is nice, and it makes these the final eight uh, pretty good combo. But, again, in, in this tournament, it would have been hard to avoid having uh, fun teams because all all the ones that made it this far could play pretty pretty well. So, And the, it's nice because there seems to be a nice contrast in styles throughout these teams left, too. Yeah, like, I, I think Albany and Drexel can both score a ton of goals, and, and while that's a fun style to watch, and you don't really see a ton of it winning championships. Like, at the end of the day, like, you can score goals, but most of that is because of their success on the face-off. And to me, to see something like that, really, like, to see something like, you know, Albany and Drexel just, they just play really fast and they score goals. I mean, and that's what SU does to a point, and that's why, we struggled against Bryant because Bryant just slowed our game down and turned us into a team that, you know, was trying too hard to make decisions. So, yeah, I, I am curious to see if Albany and Drexel's brands of, of lacrosse can really um, can really push forward. And you know what? Like, now now with the uh, the CAA, you know, they're losing Penn State. They're headed off to the uh, the Big Ten Lacrosse League. Um, Hofstra really hasn't been um, the Hofstra of old for years now. Um, and, and I think for the most, the CAA is kind of looking for somebody to kind of, you know, jump up, and, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it is Drexel just to kind of carry that banner. Yeah, I mean, Philadelphia is such a good lacrosse city that it'd be cool to have, you know, a team really come up out of there. I thought you know, it looked like it was going to be Penn, but. You know, Nova kind of fell back to the pack a little bit, and St. Joe's is still kind of finding their way. Although I think they were better. Like, they weren't the total disaster that they've been this, in years past. Um, but it would be cool to have a, a really solid, you know, strong Philly team 
uh, come up, especially when we have the tournament there so often. Undoubtedly. Uh, I guess we can jump into beer for a bit. I know we have plenty to talk about in the second half. NFL draft stuff, the ACC putting a misguided logo out there today. So, uh, big ACC. Just, <laughs> it's weird. I was I was talking to someone earlier, just because we brought it up. I was talking to someone earlier, and it seems like obviously the ACC copies the SEC with a lot of stuff, but on like the whole, you have to play a major program, which doesn't affect us at all, because we always do uh, at a conference and basically the entire scheduling thing, um, which I still have mixed feelings about. But it, it's very strange that. All we heard about the ACC going in was that the North Carolina schools dominated everything, and maybe they do to a point, but it feels like all like the really miniature, you know, not all that important decisions, like a logo, it, we, we seem to be moving towards what the Big East did, and that's just really weird. Like, you think they'd want to protect their traditions, but we do a lot of, as a conference, we seem to be doing a lot of Big Eastian things, um, you know, moving our tournaments around to the to New York, which obviously I'm all for. Moving our tournament to the Big East schedule, which I'm all for. Uh, the logo, which I don't care about at all either way. Um, it's just interesting that like all we heard was like, oh, you guys aren't going to fit in, uh, and get used to what you know getting dominated by Duke and North Carolina in the I guess in the office rooms and being kicked around by those schools because they run everything. But like from what I've noticed, the people that run everything are the SEC, because we just copy them in major scheduling decisions, and then it seems like we've just been moving towards more Big East-type, like, small decisions, which is funny to me. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree there. It's a very odd, like, very odd group of decisions, and especially this, especially, like, this logo thing. It's just, I mean, it really is like a blatant ripoff of of the Big East logo that, you know, was, was there now and was there when we when we got there, or when we left. Nothing to rip off. Um, <laughs> yes. Again, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna rip off a Big East logo, there's there's, there's a really awesome one from the early '90s, at, well, into like the into the first. Um, Expansion issue. Is the map or just gone now? Because I like that one. I thought that was kind of unique. Oh, I like that one a whole bunch. I, I, I mean, it's it's gone. It's been gone, and, and I, I think that one really, if anything, had staying powers and personality. I think that was kind of, um, if you're going to look at like the character around the Big East, I think that that was. Um, I think that that was kind of emblematic of it. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, a lot of people seemed really upset about it. I didn't really care. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, beer. What have you, uh, what have you been drinking, Dan? Um, unfortunately, we haven't had too much really exciting going on in this, you know, area of the world. Um, and I haven't had a place, chance to go to one of my, you know, my better beer places. Um, I did get to have um, what I have uh, a couple not too long ago. Um, 
I'm losing, I can't remember the name, German beer, Hofbrau. Um, I had some Hofbrau recently. Uh, this place by me has that on tap. Usually I only get that when I go to the beer gardens in New York, which Hofbrau owns most of. But that's always good, especially because they have the giant German tankers, which is awesome. Um, some Dogfish Head, 50 Minute, uh, nothing too crazy. Unfortunately, the bar by me that I used to always did Saranac at no longer has Saranac, so that's Ooh. been kind of an Yeah, I've had to adjust and, and you know, switch it up to, to other things, mostly like Sam Adams stuff, which is fine, but it's not quite as exciting. Um, I'm going there probably tomorrow, so hopefully they've gotten something cool back. But, uh, yeah, nothing too exciting the last couple of weeks, unfortunately. That, uh, I got to get back to like, the, the liquor store and... I have some new stuff because I've been flacking on my unique beer, <laughs> micro brew game. All good. Uh, for me, uh, what happened last week? Uh, Mad River Brewing Jamaica Red Ale. Um, it's not an Imperial Red, but uh, it definitely is a hoppy red, and I am a big fan of hoppy reds. Uh, 329 Lager from Golden Road. Uh, Golden Road's around here. I talk about them a fair amount. They kind of release like a Instead of doing, like, a session IPA, they did, like, a uh, day-drinking light lager that doesn't taste like Bud Light actually has, like, some character to it. Like, definitely um, a beach beer. Um, Also had the highly aggressive uh, chocolate rain from the brewery, um, which is down at Placentia uh, in Orange County. Um, It's a bourbon barrel-aged stout with uh, cocoa nibs. It does have a nice chocolate finish, but it's also 18.5% alcohol, so Ooh. there's a uh, <laughs> there, there's a, a note to drink very slowly. So I uh, actually split mine with my wife because there's no way in hell I was going to be able to finish the uh, 750 milliliter bottle by myself. I also had a... It's pretty ridiculous. Was that that? It was pretty ridiculous. Definitely put it up there with some of the more ridiculous beers I've ever drank. Um, and then uh, I also had uh, Sprocket beer the, from their, like, home, from Stone's uh, homebrew submission contest that they always do. Um, and this is the winner, the Black Rye Kolsch. Uh, I mean, very drinkable, uh, fairly light. So I think it's most places you can find Stone, so if people see it by chance, they I'd probably go ahead and grab it. I've had a couple of Kolsch's fairly recently, and they've all been pretty good. Um, it seems like they've been popping up a lot, like, the last year or so. Yeah, I mean, Kolsch's are, are kind of, like, they're really easy to make, and they're just kind of, like, underutilized. They also get lumped in with blondes a lot. So they get really Yeah, but they're not quite... Oh, they're an interesting, they're like a hybrid almost. But, uh, yeah, they're nice. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking to, like, day drink, they're they're rarely that high alcohol content. Um, they're usually, like, you know, easy to really pack, like, some great flavors into them. Um, I have a couple around here that I drink. Just, like, I know, um, what is it? It's a great beer company, a great brewing company. It has this uh, Hollywood Blonde um, Kolsch. It's just, like, a really simple one. It's only, like, I think, I think it's under five percent. I mean, that's it. Really depends on like what you're looking to drink. I mean, there's there's a lot of options right now. I think for summer drinking and and if you can find a good Kolsch, uh, I would 
I would probably recommend that over over most things. I mean, there's a lot of great session IPAs that came out this year too. But I'd say anytime you can find a good pulse to just hang out outside and drink, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm excited for just some decent. So I'm not like summer's not my favorite beer seasonal, you know, genre of uh, beer, I guess. But I do want to hopefully find. Um, Southern Tier makes their uh, Hop Sun, which is really, really good uh, during the summer. And hopefully I can find some of that down here in the next couple months. If not, I'm not going to drive to New upstate New York, but I'll hopefully, you know, find a way to track some of that down because that was one of my favorite summer summer uh, beers when I was didn't set to graduate, and I drank a lot of that in my senior year. So hopefully they get that down here. Southern, Southern Tier kind of hit or miss around here. Like, they'll... You'll get like the other uh, some of their standard stuff, but not uh, more some of their more interesting ones. So hopefully that makes its way. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I know uh, is it over here? I mean, we're already kind of in full swing on summer beers, but these things happen. Like it's getting back to sports. NFL draft. Um, I think we were all kind of surprised by how early. Bromley and Sproul went, um, considering where they were projected to go. Don't you think, Dan? I would say yes, considering Jay Bromley was at tops. <laughs> um, I don't know. I get like if if you have any thought that you're going to get picked in the third round, I think you'd be there to watch. But obviously, he was buying juice and renting gravity, so it didn't seem like he had any real thought that he was going in the third round. I thought it was like a chance. Uh, I had seen some projections that said like third to fifth. But well, like late third, though. Yeah, and the, he, like he, giant, I mean, he didn't even go. It wasn't all that late. He went before Lewis Nix, who was well, yeah, like I a borderline well, first round prospect. Um, the Giants had the twelfth pick, awesome. and yeah, the Giants had the twelfth pick in the round, I believe. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's great for him. Um, obviously, it sounds like I read some of the stuff from the Giants. It sounds like they want to throw him in there and get him going. Um, it's just funny that it I, I like think it's, you can go for it, Dan. No, it just seems like it's, it's funny because how obvious it is now that Coughlin, like, I, they're never going to admit it, but obviously it's only because they've scouted so many Syracuse players now that they have a more uh, of a basis to go on. And obviously looking at, at Pew last year, they probably saw Bromley on tape. But it's just really There's funny. So many BC, there's so many BC yeah. Syracuse guys, though, on, on the Giants at this point. Yeah, it's it's real funny. Um. And then, obviously, Spruill, which isn't the same situation because we didn't have any Falcons. We had Tails work out there, I think, a couple of years ago. But I don't remember the last time we had a player on the Falcons. Um, and now we have two. Uh, and Spruill going fifth round was even more shocking because we all knew Bromley was going to get picked. That was never really a question. Um, but, and I said in my little preview post that I thought he was the only guarantee. And I didn't feel great about Spruill getting picked just because if you're like a seventh round of free agent type guy, which he was, there's a whole lot more seventh round of free agent type guys who don't get picked. So that's like, it's it's a major toss up for so for him to go fifth round, and that early, I think that makes you know obviously fifth round picks I think generally make the team, um, but if there was any any you know, question, I think that says really good things about his chances because why would they jump up and grab? They traded up for him. Why would they jump up into the mid-fifth round to pick a player that they weren't sure about? So it sounds uh, 
Yeah, it's great for them. I'm really happy for both of them and all the guys who signed um, undrafted, and hopefully they like a couple of them catch on. I would probably, if I had to bet on any of them, I'd say Keon has the best shot because he would, he, you know, he still has recovery to do, and and corners are always you can always use a bunch of corners, but it's always it's always hard to say who's gonna you know make a roster from from that spot. But hopefully we had a couple guys that do. Yeah, I mean, looking at everybody, you know. I, mean, I, I had my post on uh, Monday that, that kind of went through everybody's situation. Um, Brownlee, I was pretty sold on him, like, getting some solid playing time. But then when we picked up Kelsey Quarles in, in free agency afterward, now I'm like, eh, well, now you know, now you, now you got a couple, a couple linemen, you know, rookie linemen that are going to have to battle out, battle it out for playing time. And uh, you know, Quarles might be a little bit more refined, but. I was talking to one of my friends who's also a Giants fan about this. I just think that, you know, like Bromley has played with all eyes on him as the focus of that defensive line, while Quarles has had the benefit of, you know, people doubling Clowney all the time. And, and to me, I, I had other first-rounders years before. So, I mean, I've seen Quarles play. He's a good player. But I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be too nervous if I was Jay. I think, I mean, and it's defensive tackle, so – when you're a defensive tackle, if you make the team, you're going to play at least a little bit. It's not like, it's not like they don't rotate them through. Right. And, I mean, and, and the Giants. Sorry, the Rangers just won. Oh, congratulations. For for, for those who, who are hockey fans, the Rangers were down three games to one to the Pittsburgh Penguins and just pulled off a Game 7 victory. That's pretty awesome. The Mets are bashing the Yankees for the second night in a row. And Girardi just got tossed, so go Mets. from me. <laughs> the Mets have hit, like, they've scored 20 combined runs in these first two games, and, I'll, like, this is a brief baseball tangent. New Yankee Stadium is a joke, and Awful. it so blatantly inflates the power that that team has because Curtis Randerson hasn't done jack, like, they haven't, he hasn't done anything this year, and he has hit two home runs in two nights because he got back home and, and started popping it over that little fence. Uh, I went to a Mets Yankees game a couple of years ago and watched Russell Martin hit what could not have been more than a pop-up in any other stadium, and it hit the top of the wall and popped over on that stupid porch. Um, it's just such a joke. And for the Mets to hit, like, I think they've hit, like, seven home runs over these two games so far, and they're up 11-5 to five right now. Like, come on. <laughs> Build a real deal. You have to be a city field, which is <laughs> Build something that's more than, like, a glorified Little League Park Yankees. Come on. Any, anyway, go Mets. Fair. <laughs> and I agree. Despite the fact that I do find myself at a hell of a lot of Dodgers games now, I do still pull for the Mets whenever they're in my vicinity or in my line of sight. It surprised me a lot. But yeah, going back to the draft, um, you know, I, I think Sproul... There are other linebackers who were picked. Well, not who were picked, but other linebackers on the roster. I don't think he's going to be able to break in right away, but I think he has a shot. Um, you know, Jerome, we had an extended conversation about that in the, in the comments. I think despite the fact that they picked Devontae Freeman from Florida State, you know, Rome is really the only third down, like the only third down back type on that roster um, for the most part, and, and I think that that benefits him and really bodes well for, for him to potentially break through um, you know, during the summer. Well, what I want to see is a lot of defensive backs 
Um, I know that Jeremy Wilkes just signed with the Jaguars today. So, so that kind of, you know, that, that kind of provides, you know, like a, a lot of chances for some Syracuse even facts. And, for, you know, the, the fact that all these guys have actually been chosen, despite how, I mean, dreadful last year's secondary was, and, I mean, yes, most of them were injured, though, um, is, I guess, a testament to what Schaefer's kind of built um, in terms of an NFL pipeline. Well, not the Schaefer, but Schaefer and Marone have built in terms of an NFL draft pipeline and really getting, um, you know, just pro-caliber players and guys that even if the numbers might not back it up, like people are willing to at least take a flyer um, and, and, and throw them in there. What I'm really surprised about, though, is that Matthew hasn't caught on. I know we talked about Matthew a little bit last week. Um, Dan, do you think he, he catches on the next couple of days, or is this something that's going to have to drag on into the summer now? I hope so. I think the fact that he snaps, um, as I said before, like I thought that would add value, and it you know still probably does, but he's also a guy who a team can probably call up in a pinch um, because you know they all know about him. But I am surprised that he hasn't drawn. I expected him to have a better shot at getting signed than Richard Anderson or, or uh, Jeremy Wilkes. So I think eventually, I mean, so many, it's not like you have to be a superstar to make a camp. Like A lot of guys make camps. So I'm, I'm assuming someone will find a spot for him. And if you look at the list, like, they're very unbalanced. Like, the, there are teams that have, like, four guys that they've signed, and there are teams that have, like, dozens. So I think he'll at least get an invite somewhere. If not, I mean, I expect, you know, maybe Marone will give him a shot or something. But uh, I hope so. I hope all of them get at least a shot to do see what they can do. And if they don't make it after that, whatever. But, you know, it would be nice if they all at least went into summer – getting to play a little bit. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, again, it, I think a lot of these things, and the fact that it wasn't just the Giants, I, I think it was, was was good for me. Um, oh, hold on. Matt, you just signed did. with the Eagles. <laughs> nice. Well, no. Mackie, why did you sign news. with the Eagles? Get tomorrow. Why'd you sign with the Eagles? Although my friend spelled Matthew wrong. Maybe he meant... Oh, that, never mind. That's a bad joke. No, it's Matthew McPherson. Um, Eagles plus Matthew McPherson gets minicamp invite. Oh, it was like 24 minutes ago. We're way behind on this. Why does why do Syracuse players ever sign with the Eagles? I want to root for you guys. I really do. <laughs> and you make me want to dislike your team, which... Also, doesn't help you out. Oh, uh, good luck to Mackey. Hopefully, there's enough injuries on the Eagles that he gets playing time. <laughs> That's mean. That's mean spirited. Yeah, I mean, you know what though? I don't really need to wish ill upon the Eagles. They do it to themselves. True. I, I mean, this is a franchise that has never won anything of note. And, I'm still bitter about yeah. the – I'm a Packers fan, and I'm still bitter about the Freddie Mitchell play, uh, the 4th and 26th. And oh, yeah. I went to uh, – me, my dad and I went up to New Haven two years ago for the Walter Camp dinner. And out of all the athletes I could have met in the world, who do I meet but retired NFL wide receiver Freddie Mitchell? And this is like a year before – I think he got arrested recently. Um, 
and this is, has nothing to do with Syracuse at all, but, like, I have no real reason to dislike the Eagles, but Freddie Mitchell makes me dislike them, even though that, I was, like, in middle school when that happened. And I just happened to run into Freddie Mitchell at a stupid thing two years ago, and I had to, like, pretend like I was ha- excited to meet this total flame-out wide receiver who was never all that good. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, screw the Eagles. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I'd be able to take that. It was fourth and twenty six. Yeah, I I don't think I'd be able to take that just because it's the Eagles. I mean, had my team not won the Super Bowl, then I would be much more upset. Well, sure. I mean, for me, like, I, I my strategy, like, I can actually have conversations with Cowboys and Redskins fans. For for the Eagles, though, it's just kind of a like, it's like, oh, it's my lunatic cousin. Let me let him just let him just tire himself out. Because with the Eagles, you know, it's 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 funny. I feel like they talk more than any other fan base in the NFC East, and yet have won the least of any other fan base in the NFC East. Yeah, I always have a fun team now because Chip Kelly's crazy, and I enjoy watching him him do his thing. But I wish it was like anywhere else, aside yeah. from the NFC North. I, obviously, I like them more. But well, I mean, could you imagine him with? Do uh, you let him loose with? With Megatron? No, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right with Megatron having, you know, the trophies he's had. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that uh, general uh, well, alliance and aptitude. Yeah, um, and the fact that they had all the holes in the world on defense and drafted a tight end first, when they could have had, you know, any cornerback in the draft except for one, or either of the two safeties, or any of the linebackers except for one. Like, I enjoyed that. Like, I'm sure they're going to be more annoying now to face offensively, but, man, like, and I get drafting the best player on the board, like that's Ted Thompson thing, but, A, I'm not sure that Eric Ebron was actually the 10th best player in this draft, and, B, you did not need a tight end. (laughs) But you know what? I mean, if you're going to go best player on the board and you're drafting a tight end, you're hard-pressed to find a better one that early in the draft probably in the last decade, than Ebron. That's true. And, uh, again, it'll make them more – I just think that Vine's defense is so bad that they could have helped themselves a lot with a – actually, no, Kyle Fuller went, uh, what, 14th? They could have gotten him. They could have gotten uh, Denard. They could have gotten – they could have traded down and gotten Verrett. Like, there were so many cornerbacks in this draft, and the Lions – it was almost like the Browns just – failing to get a receiver despite the fact that there was like 20 good receivers in this draft and they didn't take any of them. That was kind of how the Lions not picking in. I mean, I don't, I don't remember if they ended up getting a corner, but there were a number of really good ones and they just said, no, we're good. We're, we're, we'll, we'll do about 40 points a game this year. We'll just try to outscore you. Yeah. I feel like a lot of teams did stuff like that though. I mean, even my own team, I felt like we needed some help on the interior line. We were really rebuilding our offensive line from scratch. And yet, yeah, we got to the center. But besides that, um, I mean, we're still riding with, you know, the veterans we signed and the horses that we we had last year. Um, you know, I, I'm glad that we shored up running back. Um, sorry, everyone. This is a this is really more of a tangent on on mine and Dan's team's dress at this point. Um, I, I really like that we shored everything up with, with Andre Williams. I was surprised that both him and Kadeem Carey uh, dropped as far as they did. 
Carrie in particular, who I felt like a lot of people were pretty high on as a pro, um, you know, for them to just last that long. I was surprised at a lot. I was surprised that Boyd lasted as long as he did, McCarran too. There, there was just, I, I had told people for months, like any of my friends who were more NFL-focused, telling them, like, this draft is loaded. Like, the guys that are usually drafted in the fourth and fifth round, those are going to be undrafted free agents. Like, this draft is stacked start to finish. You're going to see potentially got, you know, some All-American talk, you know, being undrafted free agents. Like, th- this was probably the best draft of my lifetime. And, it sure looks and like any it. team, what was that? It sure seems like it. I mean, look at, like, Lake, uh, Lake Seastrunk and, and Storm Johnson went sixth round and seventh round, and they were two of the best running backs in the country last year. Right. I mean, the, the talent is just I, – I think it was almost – I think between the talent that was available and, and the extra two weeks for the draft, I, I think that actually, like, messed with a lot of teams. And that's, like, and that's why you saw somebody like Bridgewater almost drop out of the first round completely because people just started overanalyzing. Oh, I totally – I hated the fact that we had to wait, and I hate the fact that people have brought up waiting more. And I get why the NFL is doing it because it keeps them in the – you know, in the – they're like the main talking point in all of sports for an off-season set of transactions. Um, and if you don't think that's true, look at the ratings from Thursday night against the NBA – um, it was a destruction for the NFL draft. Uh, they had three times as many people watching the first time of the draft as they did uh, a really solid Nets Heat game uh, and a transcendent player. Um, but I, I just move it back to April. Like this, not only I didn't even think about this before when I was complaining about it, like in the weeks leading up, because people were just all the analysts that are already annoying and crazy just got more annoying and crazier because they had to fill extra time with all of this nonsense. And I love the draft, but I hate the lead-up to the draft so much. Um, but also now it cuts into minicamp time and players acclimating to their new cities and playbooks and everything. So don't be surprised if the rookies aren't all that crisp come week one, uh, the ones who have to play right away, because the NFL decided that they wanted to drum up some interest for a couple weeks and pretend like the Rockettes are the reason they had to delay it rather than just doing what they've done for years that's been very successful for them. No, and I think that's a great point. You know, these guys do need some more time. Like, I mean, for a lot of them, it's complicated new playbooks, complicated new schemes. I mean, they have to deal with, you know, NFL caliber speed. There, there are a ton of things that you need to do on and off the field to really get yourself prepared to be a pro football player and, and giving someone less time to do that, I mean, as someone who does not play football as, as a career, <laughs> seems daunting. I can only imagine if, if that's your job, you know, how how daunting and, you know, kind of, you know, demoralizing it could be. I mean, if you're somebody like, if you're somebody like Jerome Smith and, and you kind of have to, you know, pick up a quick apartment down in, down in Atlanta and then, you know, well, like, I hope this works. Like, you know, having even less time to, if it doesn't work, catching on somewhere else, like, I don't know. To, to me, it just seems like it's a disservice. And it kind of, you know, it's once again with, with Roger Goodell um, just not not at all thinking about the players on the field um, and, and instead focusing in on, 
you know, how much, how, how, how good the ratings could be, how much, how much money the league could potentially make. It's just a, a bit of a bummer. Yes. No, no, no shock though. Like no one was absolutely surprised they moved it back. I don't think. And I wasn't surprised when I heard they might move it back more. Like, are we going to disappoint where they have the draft in like mid July and the players have no idea what's happening throughout preseason? Maybe, <laughs> maybe they do that. Yeah, it seems like a good down move. I mean, he's already talking about extending it out to Sunday. Yeah, why not? It'll be four, I mean, four days of draft. Maybe we'll have like fifteen picks a day for a month, every day. And each team gets an hour to pick, and it's on TV the entire time. <laughs> well, the one thing I'll give Goodell is that he picks the first round. And, I mean, I, you remember all those, those marathon drafts when we were growing up. We were looking at seven and a half, eight hours to get through the first round. Oh, God. And that was if the Vikings yeah, I mean, remembered to pick. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't mind the first round being really broken better off. running jokes. I kind of miss, like, the just... I mean, I probably wasn't quite old enough to really enjoy, like, the prospect of just sitting on the couch all day Saturday and, like, just mainlining beer and watching three uh, three rounds of the NFL and then four rounds the next day. Um, but I don't really mind. It doesn't help that I write now all the time, full-time, uh, and I don't have a job to go to outside of watching the draft. But I, I really kind of enjoy the first round being on its own night. Um, so that was fine. I just want that first night to be in April. Oh, hell no. I I mean, growing up, like, no, I wasn't drinking beer, but at the same time, like, my friends and I would, like, we'd, we'd get together at, like, 9, 10 a.m. and be ready to go for this thing, and it was just food and more food, and, I mean, we were all fans of different teams, so, you know, food, razzing each other about draft picks, and, and really just having a good time, and, like, to me, I don't know, I just feel like, I feel like... The way the draft goes now is it didn't really help out those of us in relationships in any way, shape, or form. Because it's, you know, like, as a college football fan, my wife knows that fall Saturday is a kind of fizzy. So, like, that's one thing. I'm like, she's okay with that. But for me, like, especially on the West Coast, like, you get the draft starting while I'm still at work. But Thursday night, like, there's things that, like, people want to do. It, it turns into, you know, a bit of a mess, and, and it's just, I prefer things were back the way they were, and I don't, I'm not always, like, a, an uber-traditionalist about things. There's plenty of times I like change, but in this case, and as we mentioned earlier with the ACC logo, just just two instances where I just do not in any way. Yeah, that's fair. It, it did take a lot of time. I, I can say... Uh, Without being totally embarrassed by it, I did nothing this weekend because mostly because of the NFL draft. <laughs> so I just decided I was going to uh, ride it out and see how it worked. And I watched more or less all of all three days, uh, which is kind of embarrassing. But uh, yeah, that's life. I wasn't going to not watch to see if uh, I wasn't going to not watch the seventh round to see if you know uh, Mackie or Jerome or someone went. So or to see who my Packers picked. Um, so. You know, they got me. I was taught by the Goodell web of intrigue with even even Saturday's rounds. And uh, what else was I going to do? So can't really complain too much, but, it, you know, I, I could see both sides of it. 
That's fair. You know, I, I commend you for, for being able to watch the whole thing. Because honestly, I mean, I was at the dinner Thursday, I was at the dinner Friday. I was definitely like watching on my phone at the corner of my eyes. I definitely, I, I would say that since it was switched to Thursday night, I definitely watched less of the draft than I ever did before. But, you know, I don't have a comparison point to say, well, let's see what happens if it starts on Saturdays again. If that's I would actually, <laughs> like, that's never happening. And like, I, I'm curious whether I would be able to watch more or not. But oh well, productive weekend for, for everybody's NFL teams. Productive weekend for Syracuse football. I think. Again, um, I think people are are just getting back used to the idea that we churn out NFL players when oddly we've only had one draft in the last, like, 40 years and change without a Syracuse player. Yeah, I mean, we can safely say we're no Texas and mean that in a good way. <laughs> oh, Texas. Or Texas is no Syracuse, I guess. Yeah, but Mac Brown and the Longhorn Network, man. <laughs> that's, really, that's, that's what matters. Is, is if you have a if you have a cable network that earns you thirty million dollars a year, and, and you had a coach who apparently recruited really well, even if that network only reaches about like fifteen hundred homes. As I've been telling people, it's actually a great. We're kind of going off on a tangent at the end here. Um, it's a great Blackheart Gold Pants um, article, the Iowa blog on SB Nation um, article the other day, asking like is the Big Ten Network a net negative for Iowa fans? And a lot of the answer was, was yeah. Like, And to me, like I saw it as, like, yeah, you have more money, but if more money means fans can watch less and more money doesn't result in more wins, then really what's, like, like, what, what's the benefit to it, I guess? Like, you know, the Big Ten, like, continues to talk about, like, how much more money it makes than everybody else. Like, Big Ten hasn't won a national championship in quite a while. Like, so at what point are we going to say, yeah, but more money doesn't buy wins and more money doesn't buy fans? Like, if you're going to either use the more money, if you're going to use the more money to become a more competitive and better league, then great. But if you're still going to just continually trot out overmatched Michigan and Ohio State teams every year, you know, in a sanctioned Penn State squad, then congrats. Like, I, I guess you did what you wanted it to do. Yeah, it kind of makes me think. Uh, I know a bunch of the Maryland folk that I follow on Twitter were doing their whole like, "Oh, are you guys gonna miss the ACC thing?" I almost want to be like, "Is the ACC gonna miss you?" Like, who right now would go like backseas on the Maryland for Louisville flop? I don't think there anyone in their right mind would be like, "Yeah, we miss Maryland, so Louisville, don't go away. We want Maryland back." Yeah, I I, I have a feeling, and this is. This is trying to, to see out five, ten years in the future. I, I have a feeling that, that that move is going to be is going to be one of the ones looked back on as kind of um, a turning point in 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 the ACC's timeline, at least. It just seems like a total upgrade, like across the board. Well, when you have the, the best run athletic department in the country, and you you jump it for the worst. You can jump it again for the worst athletic department in the country. I, I think you're automatically... Aside from the other one of the Big Ten talk. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I, I mean, can make fun of Maryland a lot, but I can never make as much fun as I can of Rutgers, who, you know, just today had to release a quarterback from their roster in a, the least publicized 
uh, major gaffe of you know Rutgers last two years. Ding ding ding! Rutgers mentioned. You guys get in every single podcast. <laughs> Not for anything good, but you get in. I mean, just being there is half the battle, I guess. So. When you guys. You officially have uh, more mentions on our blog today than you do on your end. And there's going to be Ohio State's uh, homecoming game every other year for uh, eternity, ad infinitum. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I guess we'll wrap up here. Uh, unless you have any closing thoughts, Dan? Uh, no, not really. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed the draft and we have now, uh, well, no, we have we have women's lacrosse, but aside from that, we have the long wait um, to August. So, hope everyone bears down for the summer and and gets through this. We'll we'll have to hold hands and and all hope that uh that we can make it through a long summer together until Syracuse takes the field against Villanova. I think we can. Uh, for those who might be wondering, uh, we will once again be previewing the entire ACC. Um, week by week, really chatting through the football schedule. I know I, uh, just the other day, ordered my Athlon Season Preview mag with Terrell Hunt on the front. So I am, I'm already psyched and ready to go for football. This is going to be summer of football previews as once we get going on this, will be customary here on the, the podcast. I hope everybody's excited for that. We'll also have some special guests. Hopefully some of our pals from uh, Tomahawk Nation. I know Brian from BC Erection is going to be joining us. Plenty of other people. So should be an eventful summer, despite the fact that Syracuse isn't doing anything on the field um, come May, late May, early June. Yeah, and we've we've done this once before, so we'll kind of know what we're talking about about most of these teams tonight. <laughs> we're going to just be totally winging it like uh, last summer. <laughs> The one thing I can guarantee is that we will be predicting Virginia to go two and ten once again, and they will deliver on that because. And one of those wins won't be just a good BYU team like last year, which was strange. I mean, when you consider that they were like one rain freak rainstorm away from one and eleven, it must have been fate. That that extra win really saved Mike London's job. Probably did actually. (laughs) Like that's not even a joke. I, I think. If they had done 111, I think they would have had to fire him. Yeah, unless you're, unless you're like in year one of a coaching job at Syracuse, you uh, usually get fired for the worst record in school history. So, yeah, I, I think UVA is just, just biding their time, and, and Mike Lennon is going to give them a nice 2-10 and 10 record this year to, uh, to, to give them every reason to fire him. It's a nice bow. But more on that come July slash early August when we finally get to Virginia in the alphabetical order previews. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Yep. All right. I'm John. That was Dan. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Troy News and Absolute Edition Podcast Network. Please be sure to tune in every week and subscribe on iTunes. See you, everyone. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? 
Send him my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.